Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a microcollege in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head on. Welcome to MicroCollege, the podcast of Thoreau College. Uh, today we have two very special guests, Julie Tomorrow, Nicholas Wazi-Gale. These are two of the core instructors uh, and leaders of the Driftless Folk School. The Driftless Folk School is one of the constituent parts of, of Thoreau College. Um, Driftless Folk School was started in 2006 um, by a group of people here in, in the Viroqua area, southwestern Wisconsin, people who had a, an interest in sharing homesteading skills, folk arts, um, building community here, um, and over the last uh, decade and a half uh, has built a, a really a wide community of people who participate in, in classes and events um, and in, in community building exercises of different kinds. Um, the mission of the Driftless Folk School is, it describes itself as a community of lifelong learners, cultivating personal and cultural, and cultural resilience through hands-on educational experiences. So some of these, these classes, uh, they typically are range from a day to, to, to two days to three days sometimes. Um, these are, are things like homesteading skills, gardening, uh, woodworking, um, clay, uh, basketry, um, and wilderness skills. Um, so Nicholas and Julie are, are two, two really of core instructors here, very skilled people in different fields. Um, and uh, maybe I could, we could start off by asking each of you to describe the sorts of, of things that you teach. Um, Julie, would you like to, to give us a shot? Sure, yeah. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching sewing classes. So garment sewing, um, we've done some pants, some dresses, uh, yeah, some beginning um, sewing machine skills classes just to get people comfortable with using a sewing machine they may have from a grandparent or a thrift store. Um, so yeah, some really uh, foundational skills that used to be so common in every household. Um, and yeah, relearning them, getting it back into people's hands and minds. Awesome. Nicholas? Yeah, thanks. I, uh, I cover a lot of uh, wilderness skills things primarily. I guess a lot of it would fit under that heading. So various outdoor skills like um, foraging and wildcrafting and uh, yeah, uh, everything from nature observation and tracking and um, different like winter skills to uh, yeah, some handcrafts and finer work along the lines of spoon carving and uh, birch bark boxes and baskets. Uh, that usually ties back into, you know, connecting to the land and, and connecting people to place and to each other through working with their hands. Fantastic. So here on, on the podcast, we, we like to start our conversations with some, some biographical storytelling. Um, so I'm wondering if, if each of you could tell us a bit about where you were, 18 to 20 years old, what was your education like, what were you doing? And, and you know, what did you appreciate about that time? And what, what, was, what did you feel maybe was missing? Yeah, um, for me, I guess 18 to 20 years old, I was, I was, you know, graduated high school and kind of was told that my track was the traditional college track. And I, I tried going to a traditional four-year college and got about two years into that and just really was not connecting with that experience 
came home, tried community college, was still not connecting with that, and was feeling kind of, um, I don't know, I, I wasn't feeling lost or, or worried about anything at the time, but just, just it didn't feel like that was my my place in the world to to do that. And so I really wasn't doing much of consequence at that time. And then when I was 22, 23, I worked at a petting farm where was where <laughs> I got my first farming experience. It was like a petting um, zoo? It was a petting zoo, yeah. We had, you know, alpacas and sheep and you could feed them carrots and I, I would give um, informational sort of lectures and that's when I really learned that I was actually smart, which I kind of didn't realize because of, of struggling with like ADD and other things like that in traditional model of schooling, but that I, as long as I was moving and working and doing, I could know and do anything and felt really confident with that. And then when I was 23, 24, and then into being 25, I actually spent a year doing disaster relief for Hurricane Katrina. And that really um, kind of, you know, kicked into higher gear, that kind of knowledge of if given the opportunity, I can do anything. And I just was spurred to be very just an involved person in um, in my world, and and how could I um, how could I take take um, you know or see people's needs and and take that to a, like a next level, um, but yeah, in in maybe a different model than than kind of traditionally. So yeah, that that really got me going, and and then I yeah stumbled out here to the Driftless and. Yeah, it's that 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 moment of, of Hurricane Katrina, that that disaster response. I've heard many people actually express there's an experience of, of yeah, awakening of you know to service to to certain you know life purpose out of, out of that that experience in particular so yeah I think that you know the when I was down there there were a lot of traditional organizations who were you know feeding people meals from canned goods and and but I went with an organization that was kind of based on the rainbow family and sort of the idea of like rainbow gatherings where we're cooking in areas where you don't have traditional ways of cleaning dishes, traditional ways of gathering water. Um, and and we still managed to do five course meals, a lot of organic foods, um, running a free store, running gutting operations. And it was just very empowering to see this kind of alternatively minded group of people who were just like, we've got skills. They might not be the out of the box skills, but they are, they are actionable and and that was that was yeah that really launched me on on the rest of my life and I yeah without that I don't know I'd probably still be working menial jobs living in my parents basement I don't know probably not but (laughs) Nicholas what about you yeah I think that's really interesting to hear Julie's uh yeah tale and uh definitely can relate to some of that uh yeah I was a total like uh, nature-oriented kid and totally felt this devotion to the natural realm as a, a young person and as I got older yeah kind of fell, fell into the expectations of following through with college and all of that uh, but yeah I didn't make it nearly as far as Julia made it through about a semester at a prestigious little liberal arts college and thought I'm not in this world to look through microscopes or deal with frat situations and <laughs> this is all wrong after four years of, or however many years of um yeah schooling that I felt kept me apart from the natural world I I had to step back and found myself traveling and uh 
yeah, eventually finding opportunities to immerse myself deeper in, in the natural world and in different uh, wilderness skills kind of situations. That had been a part of my high school experience too, living or moving to Pennsylvania and having kind of not a real good mesh with the the local scene there, found me up in the mountains a lot, spending more and more time through high school uh, alone and observing and working with what the, the natural realm gave and devouring books on anything that related to all that. Um, yeah, so I went back to that pretty shortly after trying conventional schooling and devoted myself to learning all that I could in the, the out of doors, eventually found uh, somewhere that wouldn't kick me out of the woods, but would actually support me being in the woods long term up in the north woods of Wisconsin, the Teaching Drum Outdoor School, and uh, that helped to definitely, yeah, really consolidate what I was all about. Um, and yeah, traveled from there and eventually kind of settled back to roots in the Driftless area here where I had uh, lived as a young person and where my family had had land and um, a little parcel outside of Viroqua. And from there, just kind of settled back into this being a pretty, uh, I don't know, something that kind of represented all the different sides of what I had gathered thus far, having good natural landscape, um, but also good things happening in the alternative-minded scene and uh, yeah opportunity to, to reach people and work with people and in, in the kinds of skills that I wanted to share and uh, yeah be one foot in the woods and one foot amongst people who are receptive to connecting to that world yeah. it's interesting both of you mentioned you know, basically different learning styles than what was being you know practiced or rewarded in the conventional education setting um, and actually that, that's really emerging I think as a theme in many of our conversations about micro colleges right the the uh, the mainstream of, of higher education and 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 also secondary high school education elementary school education is is, is quite narrow in the sorts of skills and and the, the capacities that are that are trained and recognized and rewarded um, and yet the things that, that both of you know how to do, Right, the things that uh, the skills and knowledge about plants and about handwork and about you know, how to actually do things are things that that have been you know the bread and butter, literally the the anchor of, of human existence for for millennia. <laughs> how to make yeah. clothes, how to find food, how to you know how to survive um, in different settings, um, and it's just something that 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 I hear from from young people, people who are coming out of high school, people coming out of college, that they have a sense of not knowing how to do anything. Um, how to do practical things that that you know whether that be financial things you know paying taxes managing a book you know a checkbook or growing their own food or or, or anything of the sorts of th things that you teach so how how did you learn how to what you know how to how to do what you know how to do the knowledge about about skills and about the natural world that, that both of you carry yeah I I think that you know it, it kind of all gravitates around where your focus is are you looking to indulge in the the whims of the present time or are you captivated by you know what came before and the bigger picture of what's going on with with humankind and i've always been really like passionately enraptured by where we come from and what we were once able to do and even as a child trying to make bow drill fire and um, figure all that kind of stuff out has made me esteem more where we come from not where we seem to be haphazardly colliding towards. Um, and I guess maybe we both have that to say that like, you know, it's it's a matter of what you value in life and, and how that like guides you. And the chaos of the modern day does not appeal to me very much. Mm -hmm. 
It sounds like, I mean, you, Nicholas, have found, you know, you uh, teachers in places like the Teaching Drum um, at Skills School. Um, how, how important the relative balance of, of teachers, mentors, books, just experimentation? Yeah, I think like seeds planted are super valuable, and that came from books a lot in my young years. But, you know, experience is just has, I don't know, always been the the biggest teacher you need you need pieces to fit into that puzzle but in teachers or books or videos or whatever can really provide that but I feel like learning to learn is just such a deeply personal thing some people some people really you know gravitate towards teachers or some people just gravitate towards playing around with things I had a the luxury as a child of having a lot of woods around and a lot of freedom to just mess around with stuff I remember dragging chunks of wood and bark and plants and dead animals home all through my childhood and luckily had parents that tolerated that <laughs> um, but yeah I mean you never know where those those curiosities are going to go you know and like learning to tan pelts has led to knowing what you know all the hairs on a coyote's body and when I pick up a hair on a trail like having that as a reference point so it's mostly just been like accumulating knowledge and and information through experience but um, that doesn't mean that the teachers or the situations haven't been invaluable like at the teaching drum outdoor school we definitely got guidance but we were just left to like figure things out through a lot of that experience in the early years of the wilderness guide program so we were just out deep in the woods <laughs> figuring stuff out all the time and falling on our faces a lot but you you learn how to learn and I think that's what has been a really powerful force in carrying me through, mm -hmm. you know, experimentation with methods and getting things figured out and learning how to make things and do things. What about you, Julie? Yeah, I think um, what Nicholas speaks to is just that love of learning is just so um, powerful to like lead you on a path that maybe isn't even defined as you're walking along it. Um, yeah, coming out of um, leaving like Hurricane Katrina disaster land, I was kind of overwhelmed and and. Um, depressed by witnessing everybody's everything becoming trash because when your house is flooded to the attic it is covered in black mold in a matter of weeks and 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 then and then I spent a year like living in a tent and having very few possessions and you know living in this very like intentional community which was you know energized around this disaster relief but was still like strongly connected, but also living very minimally with very few needs individually. Um, and I felt like I was never going to be able to return to, you know, living in sort of like a, a box, if you will. Um, so I was fortunate enough that when I left there, I was able to kind of stumble along and just kept saying yes to opportunities. And I ended up in um, rural um, Madison area, kind of a little further west from Madison, living on land with a woman who did back to the land stuff um, in this area in the late 70s, 80s. And so she taught me chicken butchering and gardening and was very supportive. She was, you know, I, I got a job milking goats and so I got to raise goat kids for meat. And so she was, she was like, I'll pay for the fencing. You can, you know, you pasture your goats over here or over here, I need this brush cleared. So it was giving me this kind of like training ground where I had very low risks, but lots of opportunities to like explore and experience. I definitely grew up in a family where it was like everything that grew outside was poison. You buy, you buy, your, you buy food in the store, but if you touch it from outside, it could potentially kill you. And so just kind of being retrained on that and then just being receptive and like saying yes to opportunities when they were presented. 
um, made a dear friend who was selling a yurt, and you know that coincided with um, when we were looking for land out here. So then we were able to get that yurt and and just you know kind of putting myself into experiences where I was around people who had more knowledge and more skills than I did, and that really invited me to continue learning and and I found that just a huge passion for for gaining gaining these skills, gaining this knowledge and connecting with other people who who have these skills because their stories were so inspiring to me the way that they were connecting with the land and it felt like a much more appropriate way to be in the world rather than just like you know, living living in a box and having a job and kind of keeping the parts of my life compartmentalized, my work life and my you know, social life, it just, it feels better when they're kind of more integrated, and that felt really appropriate, and, uh, and yeah, I just kept finding opportunities for more learning, and yeah, and sewing was a skill that I had always had from childhood. My mom, mm-hmm. my mom, without much guidance, sort of just let me, let me sew on her machine, and, and so I was able to kind of, you know, have some base skills, but, but definitely, just found a lot of love and passion and enthusiasm in like growing those skills and finding more skills and yeah it was it was yeah it was very empowering micro college is recorded in the broadcast studios of wdrt viroqua 91.9 fm driftless community radio on main street in viroqua wisconsin thanks to jim and all the folks at wdrt for the support of thoreau college and the micro college podcast yeah, one of the things. So, so, so both of you are are not only highly skilled craftspeople, knowledgeable about about practical things, um, but also are small business owners, <laughs> right? You're, you're running your own enterprises, and I think that that is something a part of the resilience that the Driftless Folk School talks about. And and you know, I think one of the things you can learn in a in a micro college is is entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship. You know, um, so I wonder if you could talk about just a little bit about your 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 other work, you know, your, your instructors with the folk school, that happens occasionally on weekends throughout the year. Um, can you talk about uh, your, your other activities? Yeah, I um, run a small upholstery business, but it also is just a mashup of all sewing skills, mending clothes, altering, repairing, um, replacing zippers, that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great skill that, that gets me into conversations with a lot of a lot of folks, whether it's around you know this piece of furniture they want to restore that belonged to a grandparent or multiple generations, that feels really awesome to mm-hmm. to be able to help a family carry their their heirloom pieces forward into into a new a new era for more more generations to enjoy. Um, and yeah, and and connecting with people as they as they you know need alterations or mending for. You know, weddings, or you know, repair a, a beloved coat that that has seen a lot of adventures and and maybe some better times. So yeah. Yeah, so like interrupting that cycle of consumerism, where you just yeah. buy the thing new and then throw it out. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keeping it, keeping it going from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah. It feels good to have a have a, a small a small opportunity to to encourage and support people doing that. Yeah, so if, if people wanted to connect with you, what would what's the name My of business? My business is Blue Bobbin Studio. So yeah. Yeah. And got, yeah. Great. Yeah. Nicholas, you're you're a teacher in many different places. Yeah, I would say teaching is what I mostly do, but I do way too many things to do 
yeah, it's probably part of my ADD that I kind of have <laughs> is too many things because there's so many seasons and gifts from the land. But yeah, my wife and I have a, a, a independent gig doing classes and handcrafts under uh, at wildrootshandcrafts.com that is uh, a bunch of our woodwork, like spoon and bowl carving. Uh, her and I, she and I both do um, birch bark work. She does a lot of woven birch work and I do a lot of um, Scandinavian style birch boxes. And um, she also does work with deerskin that we tan, um, mostly bark tan deerskin work and really beautiful bags. But uh, yeah, so we keep up with handcrafts and are in the Viva Gallery here in Viroqua, um, which is mostly a wintertime thing for myself. But then I also teach, uh, yeah, we teach kids classes and I do some adult stuff outside of the Driftless Folk School, both there and a bunch of summer camps at KVR. Um, and then some, you know, wild crafting when I'm bored of gathering mushrooms and <laughs> providing those to people, uh, like different wild medicinals from the area. But uh, yeah, way too many things to do any of them probably as productively as economically one would if they wanted to actually make a solid living, but uh, it's kind of what the seasons provide us, and it's hard to say no to what the land is giving, so mm -hmm. we try to keep up with all kinds of things like that. Yeah, certainly that's something I appreciate about your, your teaching, having having you know, participated in a few of your classes with Thoreau students. Um, just the sense of abundance, right? To go on a walk through the woods with Nicholas is really to get a sense of the abundance of of our land and of the world there's so many so many gifts so many things to eat yeah. so many so many things to, to 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 create clothing and and other useful things and uh, just a sense of beauty and wonder which is, is something i really appreciate so yeah thanks it's it's pretty limitless really it's a matter of how much you you can perceive and how much you have time to take on yeah. <laughs> if you drag a lot of it home sometimes it doesn't always get dealt with so the driftless folk school um offers classes throughout the year. This year, I think we have over 70 classes. We went and counted up this morning. <laughs> um, and the, the um, like I say, these are generally one day or half day classes. Um, there are people who come to these from, from all over the upper Midwest. Um, and uh, uh, there are people of all ages, adults of all ages. Occasionally we have kids classes as well. Um, I'm wondering if you could reflect a bit on, on the classes you've taught. Um, who comes to these classes and, and what are they looking for? I think people who are looking for um, both, at least for as far as sewing classes, you know, people who are looking to take a little bit more ownership over what they own and what they consume and their relationship with that, um, kind of tying in, you know, waste reduction, um, you know, um, being able to tailor things to themselves a little more as a way of feeling good in the clothes that they're in. Um, you know, store-bought clothes are not designed for all bodies. They're designed for average, which very few people fit kind of an average mold. Um, so it's, it's um, yeah, people who, who are looking also to connect and converse with other like-minded individuals. I, get, I find a lot of camaraderie in classes. People often end up sharing Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. hashtags or links or whatever that, that they... Um, want to you know continue to connect and share with these people so yeah a lot of community mindedness a lot of a lot of people who are are um you know looking to to connect at a kind of a deeper core level too you know uh, not just not just drop in and then drop out but but to
to converse and engage and, and befriend. And so, yeah, I've noticed a lot of that. And, um, yeah, I would say, you know, I've been surprised by a handful of men, too, taking sewing classes. They're <laughs> traditionally very much a women's thing, but it's always it's always fun to to bring in new voices and new people. Yeah, that, that aspect of, of gender roles, like a lot of things that are involved in the folks who room have like a, a traditional kind of gender marking, right? Whether it's sewing or maybe some of the things that Nicholas does are, are traditionally more more male, like outdoorsy kind of um, sorts of things. But I, I am um, I'm instructor of, of butchering classes, chicken butchering and and deer butchering classes, and I certainly see that people like exploring things sort of outside of their traditional gender role boundaries as, as actually an important thing that, that people are, are doing in this in these classes and is that something you've seen too nicholas at all yeah i would say that yeah it's not a common class that is mostly males in my in my groupings or in my classes it's usually a pretty wide spectrum and um I can think of a lot of situations where there's definitely a lot of um, female participation, whether it's foraging or, um, yeah, wilderness skills or any of it. I I almost have trouble answering this question at all because I feel like I really get a little bit of everything from all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's usually people, I think, that, that uh, are definitely looking outside of the normal trajectory a little bit, mm -hmm. whether they are a little bit later in life and kind of thinking back to like childhood experiences and wanting to remember how it was to camp at not a typical campsite that they used to do with their aunt or whatever, or um, young people looking to explore other options in life. Um, yeah, sometimes, well, yeah, foraging can really bring in just about anybody any from anywhere, but uh, yeah, whether it's people just wanting to feed themselves better or you know, occasionally someone who's involved in the restaurant world or, um, yeah, people fascinated by mushrooms, but um, yeah, it, it really can span a really like I don't know a wide array of people. I feel like in a, a lot of these classes, which I think is what's great about all of this, is that we get to put all those people together because there's you know precious little of that happening in a mm -hmm. lot of areas where people are just kind of randomly being thrown together. Um, but yeah, we certainly have certain certain classes will attract certain crowds to mm -hmm. some degree for sure. I think, um, yeah, the, 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 what sense, um, do you have any sense of how many people um, take the skills that you've learned, that they've learned in your classes and then continue to practice them afterwards? Yeah, there's certainly a component of people that I'll get feedback from or I'll run into later who have really gone a long ways with it or, you know, I had one participant who ended up taken off even though he was like a little later in life taken off for Alaska to go live up there after being oh, wow. a business owner down here and not that I necessarily implanted all of that but he was seeking this knowledge and was getting it from me and other places and then took off with it but um yeah uh I certainly see there's a lot of that I think some people are definitely just looking for experiences I'll get you know maybe a, a mother and daughter who are always looking to do something different each summer or something so we'll get mm -hmm. people who I wouldn't say entertainment level, but I would say that are just looking for new experiences. Yeah, enrichment. And they, yeah, and they at least get a, a mind-opening experience, and I, I'm comfortable with that, too, because even if they don't wrap their whole life around that, they have an open-mindedness and an open-mindedness to that, and then they might support that in others or their children or a cousin who's really becoming passionate about such things. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I feel like with sewing, a lot of people... Um, 
you know, it can be very intimidating. Um, fabric costs money, though I always tell people to bring an old sheet if they're if they're worried about cutting into expensive <laughs> fabric. But it can be very intimidating to take and take that on on your own for the first time, um, and and you know, to to have somebody that kind of can translate maybe it's pattern language into you know actionable steps um, that that can feel really like that it opens another door. Um, so that they feel a little more confident going home and sewing something on their own. And I've definitely um, know people that have, um, you know, maybe they haven't gotten into more complicated um, garments or anything, but they've definitely gone home and, and done some simple things or, or even just have the confidence to repair something, um, knowing that, that, you know, there's some simple, simple steps and simple um, things to keep an eye on and and that it makes things you know very very doable um once you just have a little a little bit of coaching mm -hmm. yeah i think that touches on just the humanness of what we're trying to do and i personally really don't like learning from a video or mm -hmm. whatever i mean i do it and i i get things from it and i appreciate that that's available but yeah having like i'll get that a lot with foraging where people can understand who these plants are a little bit but they're hesitant to take that step but you get them out there and we're all yeah. talking about people are sharing experiences of eating nettles and next thing you know we're cooking some up and you know it really breaks down those barriers effectively when you create a human environment to have these experiences in, and it's something that's starting yeah. to become unfortunately rare and, and a sensory environment i think the the stuff that that, that you're doing nicholas the 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 foraging and and also, you know, the carving, you know, leatherwork and things like that. Like there, there's, a, there's a tactile sensory component that, that you have to oh, do yeah. in person, right? And I find that in, in my classes as well. You can read a, a description of right. a chicken butchering right. <laughs> or making sourdough bread or something like that. But that you, there are some things you can only get in person. The smells, the, 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 the kind of scent, the tactile, like touch sense sorts of things that, yeah. and the sounds that, that, that are only present in person. Yeah, that's that's that humanness. I was working with clay, like uh, liquefying and and cleaning it, like um, straining it, and the whole like, yeah, having my hands in there was just total like bliss to just kind of get me out of my mind and get me into my like body and my the moment and such. And yeah, I think that's definitely whether it's yeah fabric or fabric or bark or wood or yeah handling plants and working with plants. It's all just very human old kind of thing that we're like starting to long for in the present day. Yeah, I think these are also things that have been kind of put on a pedestal in a way for for a long time where people are like, "Oh, that's you have to be a professional to do that. That's for, you know, you you don't have those skills. You can buy that, but you can't do that." And mm -hmm. I'm like, "That's not true. <laughs> most <laughs> most yeah. things are are things that people have been doing for for all of all of existence and and <laughs> and those have been you know how I grew up with like everything's poisonous don't touch it um you know and and to kind of get over that with just like reading a book is not as comfortable as getting over that by by being in community with other right. people who are who are all hands-on together and that that feels more empowering than um you know than just getting something from a book or or from a YouTube video like that's you're not connecting with anybody there you might be like learning more about a plant or learning a, a, a hand skill, but you're not doing that in community. And so many of these things were all things that were done in community traditionally mm -hmm. forever, yeah. whether it was yeah. carving a spoon, you wouldn't carve a spoon by yourself. You would, you would sit around and, and, you know, carve a spoon together and, 
you know, the wood chips would be gathered for smoking something or, you know, whatever. Like it was not done in isolation and everything is like compartmentalized and isolated in, in our society, especially with COVID, you know, and people's work lives, which was kind of like the last, you know, social place that you were with people who weren't necessarily your friend group. Um, now, now you're not even necessarily yeah. in that community. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's important to do just for, just for our souls. Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro-colleges. Thoreau College, higher education for the whole human being. For, for folks who are listening um, to the, the podcast over time, um, about a month ago, we had an interview with uh, Dr. Julie Shackelford, who is an instructor at the International People's College, which is a, a Danish folk high school, uh, Scandinavian folk high school in Denmark, um, where this sort of word, the concept of folk school originates. Um, and if you people who have listened to that will have heard uh, a description of, of a quite a different sort of a folk school than the one we're talking about here. Um, in its roots in, in Denmark, these were residential programs for young adults um, incorporating, um, you know, over several months, people living together, um, generally having some sort of an academic con content, whether that's in historically Bible studies, or in the case of the, the International People's College, these are peace studies and, and languages and, and things like that. Um, but also singing and and the skills of living together, and quite often folk arts and practical skills as well, mixed into the whole um, of an immersive experience, right? So, so in a way, what um, when people have encountered folk schools in North America, they will have heard, they will have seen something a bit more like what we've been talking about here, right? Their 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 trainings in folk arts and skills. So, one of the things we are we're doing, trying to do here with you know Thoreau College and the Driftless Folk School is to to bring that larger context, right? Uh, education for the whole person into our into our work. So, I wonder, you know, you you both have worked a bit with um, with Thoreau College um, program participants, um, traditional college age students who are also doing academic studies and life and community. Um, I'm wondering if you could reflect upon like what do the sorts of skills that you're teaching and offering, what, what might that bring into a, a holistic education for let's say a, you know, a person's course through, through their college years? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, in my experience with Thoreau, anyhow, that it, it's really with the students from Thoreau College that it has seemed to be a really nice uh, interplay between what they might be reading about with Living Deliberately and, and Walden or other works um, and actually going out and, and doing that, which I know they're doing through you know other avenues with the school as well, but uh, really going out there and experiencing the landscape and connecting to it because that's what's contained in a lot of those works is stepping back from societal norms and really learning to think for yourself in the, the realm of uh, experience and time spent, you know, alone or um, at least from your own vantage point connecting with, with the world around. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really important and great that, that young people are having uh, opportunities and, and uh, doorways available to connect directly because it's definitely not uh, the way our um, commodity-oriented, um, I don't know, kind of is, as I see it, slightly greedy society is, is headed. It's, you know, all about making more and doing more in progress, but not necessarily deep connection and relationship, particularly with the land, but 
I think also it's being stripped from each other, you know, relationship with each other. Julie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think it's really, you know, the pace at which the row moves is it's important to slow down and not feel like you're rushed through your experience that that you're you know present in in the moment whether that's you know out in the woods alone um kind of really you know soul searching or or if you're just in in a group with a class with a group that you are um kind of really um in that moment and 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 sort of trying to be as aware of as possible of um sort of your place in that space, the place of community, the place of whatever you're working on, and 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 to not you know be hurried through through that as you know it feels like you know traditional colleges are you know very focused on you know passing this, getting to the next step, you know next 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 next. What are your next steps? Always planning the next thing mm-hmm. as opposed to that just being present, being rooted, um, and that these sort of slower crafts very much are are not to be hurried. There's You can't rush through, you know, uh, a 48-hour solo. You can't rush through, <laughs> you can't rush through sewing a garment or you're going to spend more time unpicking it than you are, you know, making it. So it's just, it's just, you know, taking the steps but taking them conscientiously, taking them, um, you know, trying to maintain awareness and, and mindfulness. And that's, you know, that's kind of like a little catchphrase right now is like, oh, mindfulness, mindfulness. But it's so true that we are so mm-hmm. busy hurrying that we're not actually seeing or doing or living the moment where we are now. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're running a sewing machine, You've got to be present, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can sew over your own finger <laughs> right. way easier than you think. Um, yeah, it's it's important to to you know make sure you're matching those pieces up correctly because if you're not, like, you're just gonna undo them or you won't have a finished product. Yeah. So. And even the learning to uh, to undo something is its own mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. value, right? Like there, yeah. there's something that, that. Well, and you know, I think a lot of people, you know, when I teach. People are like, oh, I, I can't believe I messed this up. I can't believe I, you know, sewed this together, and and you know, like maybe some of that is just like, oh, you know, you got to slow down and really, you know, see what you're doing beforehand. But also, it's seeing that like, oh, I'm actually kind of fast at undoing stitches, not because I don't make mistakes, but because I make them, I do make them, and I and I have to undo them. So it's it's seeing that like, you know, mistakes can be made, and then mistakes can be undone, and then we can make repairs. You know, it's it's. It's um, it's all part of the process. You're not nobody is supposed to be perfect at anything, and I think it's very easy to be hard on ourselves for failing or not doing it right when it's like actually it's it doesn't really matter. Like it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not pushing buttons on a yeah. screen. You right. Know, these are yeah. these are delicate processes that take some floundering and and failing. I mean, that's how we really learn. Yeah. Like we make yeah. mistakes and we like, yeah. oh well, that's what I. W- don't want to do next time. Now I want to do this, and now I know why. Right. Yeah, I find you know, I, you know, working with with natural materials, right, whether it's in the kitchen or with a handcraft of some kind, or indeed with living things, gardening with animals, things like that. You, you learn to you know they're those they're not 
generic. They're not, you know, uh, made from a plastic mold, right? They are right. The, the things of the natural world are unique in individualities, and and that you can't apply like a, a cookie right. cutter, <laughs> literally. Yeah, you have to listen and actually be in relationship with them and, and respect and honor that they are what they are. Yeah. Not yours. And I think that's one beautiful thing about working with natural materials too is if you do make a mistake, like that returns to the earth. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not you're not just cre- you're just not creating more trash. You're just, you know, you know, if you're carving a spoon, I always think spoon carving is such a handy like thing, to, you know, you you have to cut a new branch. You know, find a new piece of wood, but you're not you know, nothing is lost. You you haven't failed. You just begin anew. Yeah. Your kitchen gets a new spoon. Your kitchen, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's yeah. 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 Uh, Henry yeah. David Thoreau um, and, and other writers like him who are um, who are engaged with with writing about the natural world and about also practical skills um, or experiences in practical like manual kind of affairs. One of the things that really becomes evident um, in their in their writing uh, is the use of of all of these physical experiences for thinking right mm-hmm. how our if you look closely at our language it's made up of physical metaphors right and a lot of times metaphors made directly from practical fields from farming from 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 forestry from ships you know sailing yeah. metaphors things like that certainly from from things out of the kitchen and and out of uh, you know working with fabric and, and and that sort of thing so that's really something that I also appreciate um, for bringing this it becomes the, the the language in which you are talking about things metaphorically you're talking about social re- relationships and talking about 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 justice and, and truth in some some sort of higher sense the language you use are, is still very concrete Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the missions um, you know, stated kind of purpose of the Driftless Folk School, um, which I think goes back to the to the Scandinavian roots, is building resilience within a culture within a community. Um, I'm wondering if both of you, as as leaders of the Driftless Folk School, of people who've been been teaching and working in this field for years, um, how does that play out? What is what does having a, a folk school bring to to a specific local community? Yeah, I think it it harbors uh, it kind of harbors that knowledge. I mean, it's up to the community to make use of it, but it it does I think become a repository of of that information, you know, housed in individuals in that community or in the wider community of instructorship. Uh, you know, a great example would be Dan Pepper and what a repository he was when this community lost him. One of the original founders, also of the folk school. But yeah, we all you know we all carry that and we kind of house it in this vessel of the folk school and offer it through that to those who are interested and yeah, I definitely think that that sharing of information um, of all sorts is valuable to a community. Um, our community is definitely pretty active with a lot of what we do in the folk school and you know also contributes a lot of it. But we still get a lot of local participation as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely is a component of, of this know driftless area here that's pretty valuable and in, in what it holds yeah I think that's one thing that's really beautiful about folk schools is how they are so place-based you know a folk school in our region up here in the upper Midwest is going to be completely different than a folk school in you know vastly different parts of the country um, and and that it gives you an opportunity 
you know, and I think this is more true for classes like yours, Nicholas, rather than like a sewing class, because you kind of, you know, a sewing machine is very much like an indoor thing. Um, but, but you know, if you're if you're connecting over at like the spoon gathering or something like that, and learning, a, you know, to see the grains in the wood, that then when you go out into a forest, you're seeing these these trees. I mean, it just gives you an ability to kind of see with a little bit more open eyes. Um, kind of the place that you live and the ecosystem that you're a part of because we are a part of this ecosystem whether we cover it in pavement or you know it's a wild place it's an ecosystem and and a folk school really grounds you kind of in that place and in your ecosystem and in you know whether it's you know what are your chickens foraging on during the summer uh, months or you know a winter wilderness survival class it's it's it is unique to to different bioregions and I think that's pretty special um, to kind of really dive deep into yeah it goes into to helping to make a place a, a place right not just a generic spot on the map but a, but a, but a, but a place and and you know a folk right the people mm -hmm. who are of that mm -hmm. place so knowing the plants and the animals, yeah. knowing the traditional crafts and skills is an important piece of that. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I wonder, you know, what it's something that I also see in my class, and I wonder, in my classes, and I wonder if you see this as well, is the kind of community that forms among the participants just in the course of the, the day in which you're doing the class. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some really great camaraderie that usually comes out of it. People are usually maybe slightly quiet at first and then busy for the first part of the day, but usually lunch and thereafter, people are really starting to mesh and enjoy the space and the, the social element. Sometimes people make a couple mistakes about then, but it's it's important to also be doing the bonding of <laughs> the, the bonding and the connecting of people. Yeah, I think, you know, these these skills that we teach don't have political leanings there's not any, you know, need. I mean, I'm sure people end up, you know, talking about whatever they're going to talk about. But, but often, often the conversation just kind of grows around just who are you? Who is your family? Who? Why are you doing this? What is your, you know, and mine are like, oh, I sewed with my mother or my grandmother. You know, mm -hmm. like this ability to kind of share stories and kind of connect with like more of a whole person rather than, you know like who you are in the ball in the voting booth you know but but you know everybody had or not everybody but you know many people had experiences with grandparents um whether it was more nature or more craft or whatever but the the skills of our grandparents generation were so much greater than ours that you know many people kind of got a little glimpse of that and whether they can say oh i remember my grandparents butchering chickens when i was a kid or you know learning to sew from a grandparent or, you know, I remember, you know, my grandpa taking me out and like IDing plants, which, you know, now to me is one of my like most treasured memories, but, um, and I would love to, you know, talk all about those kind of things. Um, and, and the class kind of opens up a space for that where, you know, if I'm in a foraging class, I could say, you know, oh, I, you know, I had this, you know, nature connection with my grandpa or whatever it was. Um, I think that's a really beautiful thing and a really great opportunity to kind of see see our fellow humans just just as people with like very basic needs. We need clothing, we need food, we need, you know, a way to cook our food. We need um, 
you know, very simple things. Our needs are yeah. very, very simple and, and, mm. and yeah, and all available to your local folk school. Yeah, <laughs> togetherness. Yeah, we are just a, yeah, basically a, a collection of what was well known only that far back, you mm-hmm. know, like simple things that you could run a class on, like making your own axe handle, you know, is something that everybody <laughs> had to do not that long ago, but now it could be a class at your local folk school. And some of the, there's some nuance and challenge to making a good axe handle and making it fit right and not having it shrink. And yeah, there's, there's just innumerable things that, were pretty commonplace and I think that's what we all stand for is like holding on to that even in this age where we're propelling forward at such a rapid pace that there's there's real value to where we come from and what we've you know known and been connected to and still are and may lose as part of ourselves if we don't hold on to it through these kind of institutions. Yeah, I definitely I come back to that a lot in thinking about what what exactly are we doing here? What am I doing here with these projects? Um, is that we, we live in a time where we have to do things intentionally, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and Thoreau is paint, pointing to that in his writing, and I think it's built into the folk school movement as well that, you know, yes, if we go back two or three generations, a lot of this stuff that we are sharing with, with our students in the folk school classes, you wouldn't have had to organize a class for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> start an organization to teach people chicken butchering or sewing or anything like this. Um, but we do have to do that now, uh, and, and not only that, but to, to create context for celebrating the changes of the seasons, for you know, for really you know, you know, spiritual or, or you know, sort of cultural sharings of different kinds, um, and that that I think is you know, it's it's uh, it allows us to do it also consciously and intentionally to to select the pieces that we want to be there. Um, but it's something that requires conscious doing, right? So I think that when I think about resilience, that's part of what we're we're doing. We're actually building some of the, some of the community kind of institutions, the organs of, of community life that that would otherwise not be there if they weren't being held consciously. Yeah, um, Nicholas. One thing I wanted to ask you about is that I know that um, the sort of the heritage um, and the the wisdom of indigenous peoples is an important part of your formation, and I'm wondering if you can talk about. The relationship of the folk school and, and your work to 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 the the indigenous peoples of this of this part of the country. Yeah, I certainly view indigenous knowledge as a, a real uh, yeah beacon of you know how people can live in a balanced way with the the natural world. Um, obviously, this is all a real hot topic these days with cultural appropriation, and I. I do try to really consciously walk that line, but I was like very inspired as a child with a, a native stepfather who had our bookshelf stocked with all sorts of classic native literature and oh things like um, Tom Brown's survival books and such. Um, that those are all hugely influential and like key pieces. And yeah, I don't I don't think anybody should. I think we should be careful not to dismiss the the wisdom that's held in that doesn't mean we should like make shallow mockery at Halloween like that really needs to be like carefully some of that needs to be carefully tended to some of the like egregious misrepresentation that our dominant culture has done to native uh, native ways but uh, yeah I certainly feel inspired though I try to walk slightly astride that but we're all trying to connect I think to the natural world and really um, hopefully, you know, make this a better place for all of us in the future by by learning from people who can set an example of doing something different than our highly destructive 
um, ways, whether you're looking at colonialism or, uh, you know, just modern dominant culture that is highly destructive to the natural world. Um, but we as the folk school are definitely working to have uh, improving and better relationships with um, Native communities and, and encourage um, instructorship to join in where that's appropriate. And we've had some good black ash basketry classes lately and hope to, to grow on that from um, some really prominent Native basket weavers in the state. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a super complex issue and it's valid that we're viewing it as complex, but I think that the baby in the bathwater of like appreciating and esteeming the, the relationship with the natural world that was you know, shown to us or that we should have been paying attention to as white dominant culture coming into the land um, should be like honored and appreciated for just showing that we can work in a much deeper and more genuine um, and honoring way with the, the landscape around in a lot less destructive manner. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're, we're coming up to the end of our time here. I, I'm wondering if, um, as a concluding question for both of you, um, we heard about you know, your, your process to, to getting to where you are today. Um, and I'm wondering if you could just, if you had uh, an advice of any kind for a young person, let's say a high school student or a person who's, who's you know, setting out on their, your, their career as young adults, um, or maybe someone who is a teacher or a parent of someone who in that in that age range. What advice do you have for them um, from your your life experience about about building meaningful, like you know, yeah. fulfilling and and uh, and the rich lives that you've that we've been talking about here? I would I would start with with just the value of community, the value of the people around you. Um, you don't necessarily have to agree on every sort of thing on a social context um, to just recognize that that you're in community with these people, and that um, you know when when you work as a community, you are stronger and more resilient than when you try and um, come in with a bulldozer with different ideas or even try and just run away from ideas that you're not 100% on board with, um, that the harder work but the more valuable work and the more sustaining work is to dig deep into, into place and to people and to connectedness. Um, and I think that's very powerful. I think um, that you know, in a in a society where individualism has been kind of put on a pedestal, um, we're actually not very strong or resilient as individuals um, mm -hmm. as we are when we are working with others um, towards bigger goals. And it takes more work, and it takes more commitment, and it takes more ability to um, to kind of use all of our communication skills. But but it, they're 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 the most valuable skills we have is communicating and connecting. Excellent. Nicholas? Yes, that's a great answer. Uh, I would I would say uh, to youth in, in a situation wanting to seek, you know, more of this depth and more of what folk schools maybe embody is that it, it's more available than you might think as well. Like, you know, you, you might find it in the most unlikely places of, you know, a, a grandparent who may be in a nursing home but knows a lot or um, or just being with, with the landscape that is around you, even if it's a suburban backyard. I remember trying to be really still and feed squirrels out of my hand in backyard in lacrosse, and like that was just in a city, 
you know, mm-hmm. but that taught me a lot about not making eye contact and trying to be nonchalant and like all sorts of things. There's there's really uh, you're tapping into something that's really big and really old if you're looking to like learn more about you know whether it's the natural world around you or how to make things or how to do things yourself. Um, it, it can quickly seem, I think, that you're going against the grain, but really, so much of the world is going in the direction of of working together in this better way, like Julie said, or um, you know, taking care of their needs directly. You know, the the wild landscape gives us innumerable examples of the amazingness of beings to like put together their life for them out of what they are doing in community with their surroundings and. Um, yeah, the, those doors are definitely more available than you might think, and we're trying to present that in this area, but I know it's being mm-hmm. presented in a lot of areas, like good good education, whether it's nature centers or um, alternative schools or, uh, yeah. Um, or, or, indeed, or indeed folk schools. So, um, right. yeah, thank you for those answers. Um, I guess I'd like to, to, to let people know that they can find out more about the Driftless Folk School um, at driftlessfolkschool.org on the web. Um, there's also, if you're, if you're living outside of the upper Midwest, um, the, there is a, the Folk School Alliance is a, is a great website that will, uh, an organization that, that will, has links and, and, and uh, information about folk schools of this kind all over the North America. Um, and there are there's quite a few of them around, um, and uh, so this is a great way for a person who's who's maybe not able to go and, and take a year or a semester to do a micro college program of some kind. If you only have a day or a weekend, um, this is a great way to, to to enrich your educational experience and to connect with people in the ways that we've been exploring here. So, thank you so much, Julie and Nicholas, for spending some time with us today. Yeah, thank you, Good Jacob. Here.